You may be surprised to learn that the cross did not become a central symbol of the church until the 4th century. Some say that it never should have become such an important symbol. They usually are reacting to a shame-based theology of the cross, which isn't what we preach and teach at Second Presbyterian Church. However, the cross is central to the story told by the Gospels. And so, this Lent, we will preach Christ and Him crucified, just as the Apostle Paul said we should do. We've titled our series, Lift High the Cross, borrowed from the famous hymn with the same title. We will look at what the cross reveals about us and about God. We will speak of sin. Yes, we will. But speak also of the grace and hope of the cross and how human dignity is encouraged and not destroyed. Give a listen. If you want to hear the prayers and music of the worship surrounding the sermon, find us on YouTube or online at sprez.org. Let us pray. Holy God, open our minds and hearts to shocking good news. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Matthew's gospel was written so that we could hear the good news of the gospel. But to hear the good news for us, it is helpful to hear how it was surprising news for those who first heard the story the Jews especially, and Gentiles of Matthew's community. Listen to the reading of Matthew 28 and listen for the good news it has to share. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee and there you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest everything that had happened. After the priest had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, You must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story is still told among the Judeans to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. You just heard chapter 28 of Matthew. You just heard the end of Matthew's gospel. To read all the chapters of Matthew leading up to this last chapter, you would come to a place of huge relief. I mean, yes, it's a relief to hear that Jesus was raised, but it is even more relief to hear that this is not like the cyborg and the Terminator following through with his threat, I'll be back. I say that because to read through Matthew's gospel is to hear Jesus preach five sermons, each sermon ending with threats and warnings about the cost of disobedience. Even the beautiful and famous Sermon on the Mount ends up with Jesus saying that anyone who doesn't perfectly obey what he commanded, and let's not forget this is the sermon that not only forbids wrongdoing, but also wrong thinking. That is, anyone who does not perfectly obey the commands will be like a house washed away in a flood. Then you would have read the events of the last week of Jesus' life where everyone, except for a few women, everyone fails him and deserves everything that Jesus warned that they would get. His faith community condemned him. The crowd turned on him. The government wrongly sentenced him. The centurions charged with keeping order, tortured, mocked, and crucified him. And perhaps most disappointingly, his disciples abandoned him with one betraying him and another denying knowing him. But in Matthew's final chapter, we are told that the judgment moment is a grace moment. An angel tells the two Marys that Jesus is raised and to go tell his disciples. And Jesus himself tells the two Marys to go tell his family all to meet him in Galilee. And not because Jesus has a score to settle. The following and the family are being reformed by grace and forgiveness. And there's work for all of them to do. Because of the surprise of the last chapter, the cross is now a symbol of reconciliation rather than being what it was intended to be by the Romans, a symbol of defeat because Jesus was killed and not being a symbol of revenge because God is vengeful. It is a symbol of the heart of the gospel. Reconciliation. Jesus will not abandon those who abandon him. So whatever you might regret, whatever you think you might have done or become that would make you forever unacceptable in God's company, the risen Jesus answers with love and forgiveness. So meet up with Jesus, for he has a place with you in his company. Here's some more good news that was surprising then. The Jews of Matthew's community were hoping for a resurrection. All of Israel was hoping for a resurrection. The Jews of exile before the return were hoping for a resurrection. It was what? It was a big thing. But it was not the resurrection of a person that they were looking for. They were looking for the resurrection of a nation. 
Now, many hope that at the end of time, at the end of history, there would be this raising of the dead. But the resurrection that was talked about, that was looked for, that was longed for, was the resurrection of the nation of Israel. The hope was that Israel would come back with its old borders and with another king in the line of David. The motto could well have been, Israel shall rise again. Of course, if that was to happen, it would mean the removal of whatever nation that had Israel under its thumb. And in Jesus' day, that nation is Rome. So with the resurrection of Israel would come the fall of Rome. On a local and everyday level, the most visible representative of Rome's rule is the Roman centurion. So any story that ends well for Israel would have to end badly for the centurions. So imagine how shocking it is for first century Jews to hear stories where centurions are saved. Look back at chapter 8 of Matthew's gospel. A centurion comes to Jesus and asks him to help his servant who is paralyzed. Now normally another way to say a centurion's request is to say a centurion's command. Jesus says he will come, but the centurion shocks Jesus with his humility and grace. He says, Jesus, I'm a centurion. I know that people have to do what I say, but you have a different authority, and it's a better authority than mine. You have a different kind of power than my kind of power, and I'm not worthy enough to have you come into my house. I'm just asking you to say a good word for my servant. That's all. Jesus is shocked and praises the centurion's faith. He says a good word. The servant is helped. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, You know, One day, people will come from east and west, in other words, from all around the world, all peoples, to sit at the same table as the great patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has not yet arrived at the point to know that that time actually is right now, but he articulates that end of history hope that at the end all the dead will be raised and everyone will be equal in God's eyes. And then here's another centurion story. Pilate orders Jesus to be crucified and you know that it's the centurions who crucify him, the same centurions that mock him and torture him. They're also the ones who stand guard to make sure he dies. And right after he dies, right after Jesus breathes his last, we hear one of them say something. And we would expect it to be a gloat in line with the centurions making fun of Jesus as a phony king. The kind of hateful gloat that would come back to haunt Rome if the resurrection was going to be about the nation of Israel. But what the centurion says is something of a confession of faith. Surely this man was of God. Surely this was God's son. And then there's that centurion story told in Acts, which is really the second volume of Luke's gospel. Peter, the Jewish disciple, now forgiven of his denials, is spreading the good news of Jesus to other Jews. 
and a centurion named Cornelius summons him to his home. Not daring to disobey, Peter goes, and the trip involves an overnight stay en route, and Peter does what is commonly done on warm evenings and sleeps on the roof of the house where he is staying. And while asleep, he has this vision of this non-kosher meal being lowered to him in a sheet and being told by God to eat up because this Gentile food is no longer to be considered unclean. And with this vision in mind, Peter goes the next day to share the gospel with the centurion and his family, and they all come to faith in Jesus. And in coming to faith, now this is important. It's important for us sitting in this sanctuary right now. In coming to faith, the centurion doesn't stop being Gentile. The centurion doesn't stop being Roman. The centurion doesn't stop being a centurion. To enter the realm of God, he doesn't move from one nation to another, from one race to another, from one people of privilege to another. He enters a realm where the rule of all is the rule of love. A realm where one's heart is for compassion, one's agenda is for justice, one's motivation is gratitude, and one's habit is reconciliation. Now, most of us who are sitting here in this sanctuary, probably most of us who are with us online, are used to going through the day, every day, feeling some kind of privilege, whether it's of status or nationality or race or religion or thinking we're of the right way of thinking or the right way of being. So let's remember that for most of us in this sanctuary or worshiping online, that we are Gentiles. Thus, we are the people for whom salvation was to be later at the end of time, not now. But we have opened to us a realm that was once thought to come only for people like us at the end of time. So let's hear afresh that good news for us. The realm of God is not going to come when any one nation gets its way or when any political agenda wins out or when we vote the right people in place or get the right people in power. The kingdom of God is already here and we are citizens of this realm of God when we act like it and keep the law that is not of any nation. And we are citizens of a kingdom that knows no borders. We are citizens of this realm when our heart is for compassion. Our agenda is justice. Our motivation is gratitude. And our habit is reconciliation. I'll offer one more way in which chapter 28 of Matthew is shocking news then and good news today. It is a surprise at the end of Matthew that the greatest enemy to be overcome is not Rome, but death itself. Death is not defeated at the end of time when all the dead are raised. Chapter 28 is telling us that death is already dead. Death is already defeated and the power of sin has already been broken. And this is new. 
Yes, there are a couple of stories in the Hebrew scriptures about individuals being brought back to life. And there is that New Testament story of Lazarus being brought back to life. And we even have modern medical stories of those who are clinically dead being revived. But what is new is that Jesus is raised and stays raised. Jesus lives right now in our world right now and he can be met where we live in Galilee, in Roanoke and followed today where we live. Can our minds and hearts be large enough to take in that God will never abandon us just as God never abandoned Jesus? So to sum up the shocking news that is good news today, the realm of God is not bound by borders or legislated by our government. No, the realm of God is forever and today. It is already news. The realm is known in baptism when all allegiances give way to an allegiance to God that is shown when one's heart is for compassion, one's agenda is justice, One's motivation is gratitude, and one's habit is reconciliation. And may more and more citizens of nations from east and west, from high places and low places, hear and believe the good news that Jesus is raised, and then find their place in a right now and eternal kingdom where, you can say it with me if you like, the heart is for compassion. The agenda is for justice. The motivation is gratitude. And the habit is reconciliation. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.